Well, this morning we continue our sermon series, Learning Perseverance for Life, as we continue through the book of Jeremiah. Last week we looked at the call of Jeremiah, and today we're jumping all the way out to chapter 17. And as we look at the Word of God today, I want to remind you to keep working through our series and the accompanying workbook. If you didn't get a book or you misplaced it, you can always find the study on the app or on the website to be able to do. It's a wonderful study, and I encourage you uh, to do it just for your heart. It's so good. Our, our text today follows the pattern that God gives Jeremiah throughout the whole entire book of Jeremiah. There's doom and impending judgment, and then there is always the promise of hope. And for me, our text today truly shows us that there is two choices. We are always either turning towards God or we are turning away. So let's go to the Word. Uh, let us turn to the rock of ages. Rest in Him. For when we are overwhelmed by any and everything, it is Christ alone that can overwhelm our need and bring peace to us. And uh, like I said, the word of God we're looking at today is Jeremiah 17. Now, it's on the back of that order of service that you got is verses 5 to 8. But with your permission, I'd like to back us up just a little bit to verse 1. And I'm even going to push us, are you ready for this, all the way to verse 10. So if you got your Bibles, open them up and make some notes so that you can keep going back to the Prince of Peace, God who is with us, who sees our hearts, who chooses us. If you didn't bring your Bible, bring it next time. But don't worry, the words will be on the screen to help you follow along. And this is from the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 17. Judah's sin is engraved with an iron tool inscribed with a flint point on the tablets of their hearts and on the horns of their altars. Even their children remember their altars and Asherah poles besides the spreading trees and on the high hills. My mountain and the land and your wealth and all your treasures I will give away as plunder together with your high places because of sin throughout your country. Through your own fault, you will lose the inheritance I gave you. I will enslave you to your enemies in a land you do not know, for you have kindled my anger and it will burn forever." As God, through Jeremiah, begins to describe the extent of Judah's sin, he starts with a metaphor that emphasizes the hardness and the severeness of the people's sin, their rebellion against God. Specifically here, we have idol worship and the practice that went along worshiping these false gods. Their sins were engraved deeply upon them. The point of the metaphor is not the hardness of the materials being used, but the inerasable nature of what they had done and were still doing. When people of that era wanted a message to be permanent, they engraved it on a stone with an iron stylus, an iron stylus with a point, made it possible to inscribe the letters deeply and permanently. And we see this, there are a number of instances of this in the Old Testament that speak of something being engraved. You've got God commanding Israel to engrave the names of the sons of Israel on 12 stones, one for each of the sons of Israel. Uh, when they engraved holy to the Lord on the rosette of pure gold, God engraved the law, the Ten Commandments. You remember with Charlton Heston, he did that at Mount Sinai. In each of those instances, that which was engraved was sacred intended to bring to remembrance the relationship that Israel enjoyed with God. But now, that which is engraved is the sin of the people. And this is not engraved on stone, but on the tablet of their heart, their innermost part of their being. And if you're thinking, I've heard that phrase on the tablet of your heart, it's there in the book of Proverbs where God commanded Israel to engrave on their hearts loyalty, faithfulness, and the way of God. 
people, the people's heart, had turned away from God and rebelled so that guilt was not just over their heart, but has now become etched into it, engraved. And the same thing is going on with the horns of the altar. I had to look this up, which were the four corners of the altar where they would do their burnt offerings and the altar of incense. On the Day of Atonement, the priest would sprinkle the blood of the sacrificial animals on those horns. In the process by that, the sins of the people were symbolically forgiven. The blood was removed and burned away. But now, however, the symbolism is reversed. It's not a sprinkling. It's engraved. It's permanent. That even their children will follow in their paths. And they had turned to false idols and placed them and valued not the way of the Lord, but the way of something else. And so the consequences of Judah's unfaithfulness is terrible. We looked a lot at it when we went through lamentations. The temple was destroyed. Many of the city's inhabitants were either killed or taken off into exile. And the anger of the Lord will burn towards their sin forever. I want to make that distinction there. The anger of the sin burns towards their sin. God does not tolerate sin. And I hope we hear that today as well. Just because Christ has come and forgiven our sins by his death on the cross and we have received eternal life by grace through faith does not mean that God's anger does not still burn towards our sin. Our sin is ruining lives. It's ruining this planet, ruining our culture. Sin is working nonstop to create so much noise and discord that we will no longer be able to hear the word of the Lord and no longer able to hear the truth. The lies getting louder and louder that you're told when everything means everything and truth is what you say it is or what is fashionable at the time. And eventually we will be left with everything meaning nothing. And all that's left is a desert, a parched world. And we see this happening, no? The way sin is trying to remove truth from the world, giving us Maybe not an iron stylus, but a technical tool with an 80, 180 character limit where we write our own opinions and we call this truth, looking for that reaction and a twist. So God, after this declaration, this statement about the heaviness and the consequence of sin that has taken hold, the Lord now offers two ways of living, only two. We're going to see that there is no middle ground. There are going to be those who trust in mere mortals and flesh of the world, those who trust in the Lord. And these verses are very similar to Psalm 1, which is pronouncing blessings on those whose delight is in the law of the world. And so if you've got your Bibles, make a note to look up Psalm 1. It's an excellent supplement and a follow-up to our Jeremiah reading today. But here comes the two choices. This is verse 5. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man. And draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert. In a salt land where no one lives. Now the immediate context of what's going on in the passage from Jeremiah involves this strategy of Judah's leaders to form an alliance with Egypt against the Babylonians. So Jeremiah gives this message from God to Judah and its leaders was to trust in the Lord, not in your political and military alliances. But as it turned out, they did not trust in the Lord. They attempt to fight back, prompted by the Babylonians. They then tighten their grip and destroy the city, the temple, 
and take away everyone into exile. Now, if we take what the Lord has spoken here, what happened at that time, for the truth that it is, one might say that this curse goes beyond just that nation's fate, but includes all individuals in the way of life we choose. This curse is associated with trust. Trust that is placed in anything that is not God. Now, to be clear, it is not a sin to trust people. But it is a sin to trust in people, to invest our deepest faith in another person and to derive our deepest hope from that person, derive our identity, our well-being, our focus, our everything, to give that person that place in our hearts that rightfully belongs to God. For whatever your heart trusts is in fact your God. And there is much that would tempt for your deepest trust and faith beyond just another person. Perhaps an ideology or philosophical system, a red or blue tower, or maybe even a news stream. Military prowess, your rights, a healthy lifestyle, physical fitness routine, your own wisdom, your own strength, your own resources, and no doubt you've heard these all mentioned before. But isn't it interesting to see that God states that you can live like that? Might even be able to make it in the desert, to be a shrub, but what do you ultimately produce living like that. Now, I read somewhere that this isn't just a random shrub that's mentioned here, but the local people call this tree, this shrub, the cursed lemon or Sodom apple because it grows in the desert salt lands that surround the Dead Sea where Sodom and Gomorrah once were. And according to their legend, when God destroyed Sodom, he cursed the fruit of this tree. And when the fruit of this shrub, like a tree, is opened, it makes a sound. It's hollow. It's filled with webs and dust and a dry pit. You see what this is saying. The world is a desert, a harsh and hard place. And selfish love and self-trust and trust in things that creates fruit like that will always be hollow, dry, nothing but hot air, filled with empty promises and death. Spending your life constantly looking for someone to blame when things don't go how you want them to. Constantly searching, being distracted, and finding no rest, at least not for very long. The curse says that they will not see prosperity when it comes. They're going to miss the message that was presented to them. Think about the time of Jesus. They will see the very works of God and call him doing the work of the devil. They will see the very Son of God, and they will crucify Him. They will see the abundant life and choose instead the dream, the lie of what they think life should be. The heart that turns away from God misses the wonder, the grace, the mercy, the peace. Because salt land is a land that has been poisoned by excessive salt, and the heart turned from God and instead turned towards what it thought it wanted. Just wanted more good, more good, more good. What was easy, convenient. It created this insatiable desire in our hearts for more, 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 and more. And as a result, you find yourself rooted in such a way that you are rooted in a poisonous, over-salted ground. But then comes the other choice. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. 
They will be like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Oh, hey, we need the next slide. Can we throw up seven and eight back there, fellas? There we go. Nope. Yeah, you got to hit the space bar. Well, it's in your bulletin. You'll find it, I'm sure. Oh, no, no. Yeah, I got to write it down. Thank you. But yeah, that's a great idea. Shout it out, sister. You got this. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. In contrast, the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence, whose hope is in him, will be truly blessed. How will they be blessed? With wealth, with prosperity? Look again in your bulletin. The blessing says that when heat comes and in the year of drought, those who trust will not be spared from difficulty. However, because their ultimate source of trust and strength is in the Lord, they shall be like a tree who can endure such things because its roots are near a stream. Thus its leaves stay green and it does not cease bearing fruit. A tree by a river has a continual source of water. It'll never wither away because it's always getting what it needs. So then let the little children come to the living water. Let each one of us come to the water to be planted. Where have you planted your child? On the greens of the sports field? Have you as a parent chosen to ignore the waters of life so that they can just be busy and involved? Friends, then who's going to bring them to the water? Who's going to sit with them and teach them if they are always running from thing to thing? What is going to become engraved on their heart? And what about ourselves? I am tired of being exhausted, of calling it refreshing to sit on the couch, crack open a cold one, and watch sports or binge TV, to spend hours scrolling and wonder, why am I not fulfilled? Why is there not more for me? I tire of worrying about what's going to happen next, of getting an email or going to the next meeting or having another problem, another sickness, another rise in the cost of living, of being a person who doesn't trust, being a person who doesn't pray, of being a person who is parched, of an addict who cannot let go. And if you have been feeling like that, then the invitation is to come and receive living water. The invitation is to come and be fed. It's time to cast the anxiety that you have been holding on him. It's time to patiently endure and to learn to be okay with waiting and even suffering. Because it is not the righteous person who has the Midas touch and everything they do makes them rich and comfortable. In the life of the righteousness, God brings forth something good and wonderful out of everything that you will experience. Even tough circumstances, God will bring forth something that shall prosper. Even horrible situations that don't make sense, God shall bring forth something that shall prosper. Because the tree that is experiencing drought, whose roots are next to that stream, won't ever turn away from the water, but will seek it. Will seek it with every fiber in their being, every strength that they have. And you better believe, friends, that your Jesus, your God, is bringing that water to you. So know this, if the tree 
will not turn away from the water. Let us never turn from God. And by so doing, we will not turn away from bearing fruit. See, we will experience heat and we will experience drought. We will go through hardships and struggles. We will lose and we will fall. We will be pushed. We will be broken. We will lose loved ones. We're going to lose our looks. It's happened to me already. We'll be persecuted. We're going to be stretched. We will feel like God isn't there and we can no longer hear him. But I hope that you will say, as for me and my house, we will not turn away. Not from the Lord, not from standing in him. We will not turn away from trusting and we will not stop hoping. For we have Jesus. He is ours and we are his. So regardless of the heat and the drought, we will not stop opening our eyes to the hurt that is around us. And we will not stop giving and serving and loving and answering the call. We will not pretend to be unaware of what is going on. And we will not stop speaking for what we believe. We will not apologize for choosing love, nor will we give in. Because we are going to be known for our love, for our roots run deep. And we are connected to the vine, abiding in the vine, remaining in him. For in Christ Jesus, we are rooted in a relationship to the Father, a relationship that nurtures us through every adversity and keeps us from despair, keeps us even from our own hearts here in verses 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? He says this because it's from the heart and the ancients that that the trust and faith and belief came. I, the Lord, search the heart, examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Now, this does not inspire much hope or confidence in the choices that we as humans will make. The heart, the deepest, most inner and directive part of our person is described here as deceitful and such that no one can understand it. That is, no one except God. Frightening, is it not, to realize that God is able to look into the innermost part of our beings and sees completely uncensored what's there. But friends, this is a God who does not turn away from us. As painful as our sin and experiences are, as painful as what has inflicted us in our world and does damage, as terrible as it must be to look down upon your own child and creation and see that marked upon their hearts, God refuses to turn away from you. Sin makes its mark upon the human heart, even with the force of an iron pin. Sharp penetrates. Yet, was it not on a cross that they took another type of sharp iron and they nailed it right into his hands and into his feet. And by his death, Christ Jesus has overwritten those marks of sin with his blood on the cross. And friends, all that remains are empty holes because he has in your baptism, in the living water, united himself to you, goes before you to defeat anything that would separate you from him. So let us trust in Jesus, in Jesus alone, who picks up the pieces of a faith that is shaken, cracked, maybe even broken, and with a very gentle touch, makes you whole, and says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, pulls you close, and your reward 
Your reward is his love, his eternal, unchangeable, steadfast love. Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ is the defender of your heart. And as the band comes up, we're going to close this morning to take some time in our busy schedules. We got communion. Service might even go an hour 15. Take some time to rest with God, to talk to him, to listen to him in the silence of our hearts. That's important, that silence of your heart, because like I said, there's a lot of noise. And prayer calls for us to speak, but prayer also calls for us to listen. You know, Mother Teresa said, prayer is not asking. Prayer is putting oneself in the hands of God at his disposition and listening to his voice in the very depths of our hearts. So I'm going to read verses 7 and 8 again. And knowing, friends, that God does not turn away from us, I want you to ponder these next questions that will come up as the band jams for a while. We'll leave them up for a little bit. I think there's four of them. And then when the questions are done, Stefan will lead us and we'll stand and we'll praise and we'll worship. So hold this in your hearts. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit.